0: well good morning Morning. (laughs) so my name is Andy Newberry, and I am a volunteer uh, in the teaching ministry here at Park Church professionally I've been working as a tutor tutoring high school kids for about the past 23 years and I first began doing that while I was in seminary and along the way I realized that I was born to teach I love teaching and part of what drives me is the realization of just how many things I didn't know when I was younger. I mean, how many of you, like me, have often found yourself thinking, man, I wish I knew then what I know now? So I get to do that professionally, at least, for these kids and help them a a little bit along the way. But there are so many times when I'm surprised to learn that there's something that I didn't know that it seems like everybody else does. And one of my earliest, yeah, okay, I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> where I am and you're all just laughing at me. Um, but my earliest memory of this occurred on the first day of first grade. Because when I was a little kid, I remember I took this test, and it allowed me to place out of kindergarten and go right into first grade. So I'm going into first grade, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, pretty confident going in, and then I get settled into my like, little desk there, And all of a sudden, this kid next to me, just out of nowhere, raises his hand and says, teacher, I know how to spell key, K-E-Y. I thought, what? Like, he's blowing my mind. Like, I thought the K sound was a C. And and what's the Y doing there? And and why is he even offering up this information? Like, the teacher wasn't talking about keys. I I, I was shocked. I mean, this was a confidence record for a little five-year-old. But along the way, as I've gotten older, I realized that there are loads of other things that I was surprised that I just didn't know. Um, things, you know things that i learned embarrassingly late in life. Things like rhythm. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, I <laughs> how to spell rhythm. Um, <laughs> it's harder than you think. Uh, how to manage my credit responsibly. Or even just important things like, you don't have to be funny to be liked, but being kind goes a long way. And so recently, I started asking people, you know, what are some other things that you all learned embarrassingly late in life? And so I posted it on my Facebook page. And I loved some of the responses I got. So things like the fact that pineapples grow from the ground up and not from trees. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> the laugh gives her away. Um, or the fact that getting a pacemaker is not the same as getting a heart transplant. Um, the fact that narwhals are real and that unicorns aren't. Um, and I realize that each of us have been on a unique path, which means that for whatever reason, there will always be random things that we encounter later in life than everybody else. And so that there's, we all have things that we don't know. So let's begin today by giving ourselves the grace to say that we're all still in the process of learning. There's still all things that we might not know. Because there's always gonna be things that we don't see, which we won't see until someone comes along to open our eyes to the truth. This morning, we're gonna continue in our series called Fix Your Eyes by looking at a Bible story from Mark chapter 10 that unfolds in three mini scenes of people who needed their eyes open to see that which they could not see. And so in Mark 10, Jesus has three distinct interactions with people who need to see him as he walks along a road to Jerusalem. The first scene is with a rich man, the second is with two of his disciples, and the third is with a blind beggar. And so we'll start with his encounter with this rich man. So there's this rich man, and he comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so then Jesus reminds him of some of the Ten Commandments. And then this man responds that, you know, Lord, I've kept all of these since I was a youth. And so then Jesus tells him, well, you lack one thing. Go. Sell everything you have and give that money to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. So after hearing this, this rich man, he just, he grieved. And he just walked away from Jesus, saddened as he thought about all of his possessions, and as he thought about what it would really cost him to follow Jesus. And so in this story, we know two things about this man. He's rich, and apparently he's good at following rules. Um, It would be easy for him, in particular in that culture, for him to imagine that all of his accumulated wealth was a sign of God's favor on him for being such a good person, such a good rule follower. I think that this man saw Jesus as someone who is primarily focused on figuring out, okay, who are the good people and who are the bad people. Uh, It's sort of like he's seeing Jesus as Santa Jesus, and uh, it's easy to imagine how we also might see Jesus as Santa Jesus, because, you know, he sees us when we're sleeping. He knows when we're awake. He knows if we've been good or bad to be good for Santa Jesus' sake. Um, I'm curious to see it. what the graphic would look like. Uh, we'll thank Matt Madagresi for that. Um, but yeah, I, this kind of sounds ridiculous, but maybe not that ridiculous, because it's easy to see Jesus as a Santa Jesus, especially if you've spent your whole life as a rule follower. I mean, this is really common in church, especially if you grew up in church, because church kids learn early on that the way to be liked is to follow the rules. And the problem for the Santa Jesus follower is that it's a slippery slope to go from trying to do the right thing to being obsessively performance-oriented. And I say this from experience. I mean, for me, I am very performance-oriented. I like goals. I like numbers. I like measuring my performance. Because when I can measure my performance, then it, it gives me this illusion of control that I have over my performance. It gives me this feeling that maybe I have more control over my success. And so when I get wrapped up in performance mode, I start to fix my eyes on my metrics, my my measuring sticks of my success. And so those metrics could be anything. You know, it could be how many pounds I lose. It could be how many points my students go up on their SATs. Or for me as someone who is self-employed, it might be how much money I can make in a month. And there's nothing wrong with having metrics. The problem is with having a fixation on my metrics. Because when I have a fixation on my metrics, my eyes are fixed on me. And when that happens, I become very self-absorbed, very self-focused, and as a result, I become oblivious to God and to the people around me. And this way of living, this way of focusing on following the rules, and I'm being overly performance-oriented, it leads to an inability for me to see God as he really is. And so maybe if this is you, if maybe there's a part of you that has been seeing Jesus as kind of a Santa Jesus, maybe you've had some particular challenges growing up and moving into adulthood. Because when you're focused on following the rules, when you're focused on being so performance-oriented, then your whole self-worth is wrapped up in your performance, in your conformity, in your ability to make other people happy. When you're focused on yourself so much, your whole identity is constantly being redefined by your most recent performance or your most recent failure. And so for this rich man, he's unable to see Jesus as he really is so that when he has an actual, real encounter with Jesus Christ, he doesn't see him well. He misses out on seeing the real Jesus, because his eyes were fixed on himself. And so then from there, Jesus moves on from that guy. And he starts walking along, he's talking to his disciples, and at one moment, two of the disciples, James and John, they pull Jesus aside, and they say to Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus responds, you know, okay, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And they they tell him that they want to have positions of power when Jesus becomes a king and Jesus responds to them You guys you don't even know what you're talking about Do you know what it really means to have to sit at me at my right and my left when I come into my glory? Because I don't think you do and and they say no, no, we, we do we want to have this and, and then he goes on to tell them Look, I'm not going to be that kind of a leader. I'm not going to be that kind of a leader that you're thinking about. In fact, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many." Think for a moment about these disciples, the request that they they make to Jesus, or not even request, the demand they make of Jesus. "'Teacher, we want you to give us whatever we ask of you.'" How do you think they saw Jesus? Do you think they saw Jesus, you know, as, as a king, uh, as someone to be worshipped? Because this doesn't sound like disciples following a master. This sounds like they saw Jesus as something like like a genie Jesus, like a wish-granter that would, there we go, um, this wish-granter that would give them power and status and prestige. They saw Jesus as the God who would be at their beck and call. They thought that uh, seeing Jesus being connected to Him entitled them to some form of status or privilege, and to be honest, it's also easy to imagine how they might see Jesus as like a genie Jesus, because Jesus did amazing miracles. He he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he even raised the dead. But here's the thing: when Jesus performed all of those miracles. He wasn't acting like some genie, granting wishes to make comfortable people's lives a little bit more comfortable. When Jesus performed miracles, it was to confirm, to validate his authority. It was to show the world that his power was good and that his good news is powerful. But for us, even today, it is all too common for us as Jesus followers to still drift towards seeing Jesus as like a genie Jesus. When we start to see Jesus as a genie Jesus, we start to assume that Jesus exists to serve us. And as an extension, we begin to look at other people and think maybe they should exist to serve us as well. And so we can get so wrapped up in our American Christianity in this way because you know, there are times when we can start to focus more on how we can get our non-Christian neighbors to accommodate our beliefs and preferences more than we can focus on, how can we love our non-Christian neighbors? This, this image of genie Jesus, this entitlement mentality, it's blinded some followers of Jesus from seeing him as he really is. And the irony is that Jesus did come to serve, but he doesn't come to make us fellow kings, he comes to make us fellow servants. Jesus gives us power, but he doesn't give us power so that others could serve us. He gives us power so that we could serve others, just like he did. And so for me, when I get caught up in this kind of genie Jesus mentality, uh, I I don't always see others as, as God does. When I get caught up in this genie Jesus mindset, I don't see my pride, I don't see my stubbornness, I start to see everyone else as an inconvenience or an obstacle. When I see Jesus as genie Jesus, that's when I'm thinking that Jesus serves my agenda instead of the other way around. I fail to see the real Jesus, because Jesus saw people as people who wanted to be known and loved, as we'll now see in the third story. So in this third scene, Jesus encounters this man, Bart. We're going to look at this passage together up here. So here, beginning in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says that as Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. And he said, call him here. And so they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And so throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man came to him and said, my teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. Picture this blind man begging for money, sitting there on the side of that road, the teacher in me is drawn to that imagery of him sitting by the side of the road. Because in literature, whenever there's an image of a road that gets repeated, almost always, that's, that's something metaphorical. It's a metaphor that you know this road that life is a journey. And roads represent people on the go, moving somewhere where they want to go. And so when you see a road in a story, that's what you expect is to see people going on that road. But when we see Bart, Bartimaeus just sitting there by the side of that road, that's unusual because that's not what a road is for. And so as everyone is passing him by, as life is passing him by, here is Bartimaeus just sitting there begging for help. It doesn't take much to picture someone sitting by the side of the road begging for something. The reality is we've all seen that. We've all felt for those people. So picture there, Bartimaeus, which maybe I'm just going to call him Bart for short. Um, He's sitting by the side of the road that everyone is using to go somewhere, but not Bart. Bart is going nowhere. And as he is stuck sitting there, while the crowd is passing him by, while life is passing him by, here comes Jesus who stops for him. Think about that. Here's a man sitting while everyone is walking past him, but not Jesus. Jesus stops for him. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the God who stops for us. This isn't Santa Jesus. This isn't Genie Jesus. This is Jesus Jesus. Um, Bart has spent who knows how many years waiting by the side of the road as everyone and everything has passed him by. He has spent who knows how many years hearing the lives of other people passing him by. He spent who knows how many years in need, in need of all the basic things that every person needs, food, money, clothing, a safe place to sleep, friendship, hope, love. And so when Bart cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he is giving voice to the cry of everyone who has ever been stuck at the side of the road for too long. Though Bart was blind, he still saw Jesus more clearly than that rich man or than those disciples. Bart got to see that Jesus is the one who stops for him. He saw that Jesus came not to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom He saw that Jesus is the one who takes the time to stop and care for a blind beggar like Bartimaeus. And that Jesus still stops for blind beggars like you and like me. And when Jesus asks Bart what he wants, Bart says, I want to see again. And as just an interesting side note, in the Greek, what I find interesting in this original language is that the phrase, I want to see again, it could be understood in two ways. It could be understood as just, I want to see, or it could be, I want to see again. And here's the implication maybe Bart never was able to see. Maybe Bart was blind from birth and he wants to see for the first time. Or maybe there was a time when Bart used to be able to see, but for whatever reason he can't anymore. And so now he wants to see. And what I love about this passage as I reflect on it is that that pretty much captures all of us. Because maybe for some of you, you've just never seen Jesus. You've maybe heard some about him, maybe you've read some about him, but you've never actually seen Jesus as he really is. I remember a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is an atheist. And in talking with him, you know, this is a friend of mine, we have a lot in common, and So when we started talking about God, I just asked him, I'm like, hey, could you tell me about the God that you don't believe in? And so when he started to describe his conception of God, his picture of God, I realized that the picture of God that he didn't believe in was also a picture of God that I didn't believe in. Because the image of God that he had in his mind was just a conflated mishmash of all of the worst ideas of God in our pop culture. He didn't see Jesus, Jesus. And so maybe for you, there's a part of you that hasn't really seen Jesus, Jesus. Maybe there's a part of you though that right now this morning desperately wants to open up to see Jesus as he really is. Maybe for you, your prayer is, Lord, I want to see. But maybe for others of you, maybe for others of you, you did see Jesus. And there was a time in your life when that that really meant a lot to you. And maybe you were actively involved in some sort of community of faith and it was meaningful to you, but for whatever reason, over time, you just don't see them anymore. For me, my early faith experience really took off in college when I was part of a really fun, enjoyable, meaningful campus ministry. Uh, In that campus ministry as a college kid, I grew in my faith, I saw Jesus Christ at work. I saw him transform the lives of people around me. I saw Jesus transform me. But then I graduated, and I wasn't in that same community, and things were a little different. And in my conversation, in the way I talked about things, I realized I talked more about what I used to see than what I was still seeing. But I'm so thankful that even in those seasons of life, Jesus stopped for me. And he opened my eyes, he reopened my eyes, so that I could see him again. And maybe that's you. Maybe for you, you, used, you talk about what you used to do and what you used to see, but you feel like for whatever reason you're not seeing Jesus anymore. Maybe for you, the prayer is, Lord, I want to see again. And so when Bart cries out for Jesus, Jesus heals him. Jesus enables Bartimaeus to see what he couldn't see before. And as a result, Bartimaeus immediately leaves aside his cloak, he leaves the side of the road, and he gets on the road to follow Jesus. Jesus invites him to be a fellow follower, to be a disciple of his. And that invitation is still open to us today. So what about you? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see the God who stops for you? Because each of us has spent who knows how many years waiting for someone to stop for us, waiting for someone to understand us, waiting for someone to listen to us, waiting for someone to love us in such a way that we become unstuck from the side of the road where we've been for too long. If that's you if you've been feeling like you've been stuck for too long by that side of the road what is it that you can't now see that is keeping you stuck there because these three scenes they show us that we all need help in seeing what we can't now see and again there may be all sorts of legitimate reasons why we can't you know for that performance oriented for the rule following santa jesus person we need to see Jesus, Jesus. We need to see that Jesus isn't looking to give us compensation. He's looking to give us compassion. Jesus gives us grace whether we've been successful or full of failures. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, let's recognize that there is a temptation to feel entitled as followers of Jesus. This temptation blinds us to seeing Jesus as the one who gives himself for others. And so we acknowledge that we can sometimes treat Jesus as like genie Jesus. Let's re-examine the way that we pray. Let's consider how we approach Jesus in prayer. Like, do we do we just start listing off things in prayer as we talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, do this for me, Jesus do that for me? You know, have we have we really just boiled down our relationship with the gracious King of the universe? to a nightly recitation of a wish list. There is so much more to who Jesus is if we just have the eyes to see him. And so if you wanna see Jesus, there are just two very simple things for us to do this week. The first is a prayer. Lord, help me to see what I can't see by letting me see through your eyes. I want you all to say this with me help me to see what I can't see by letting me see through your eyes when Bart cried out to Jesus he was a desperate man he knew his need he knew he needed Jesus's help he knew that he needed Jesus to open his eyes So for each of us there are some needs that we have some obstacles that we have as well that keep us from from seeing jesus and so if you can't see your need then pray to jesus to open your eyes to that pray that jesus would help you to see what you can't see because maybe what's keeping you from seeing jesus are things like your stubbornness your pride your impatience pray that jesus would open your eyes to help you to see what you're not seeing about those your pride And if that doesn't work, talk to your spouse um, or someone who knows you. Because if we all did this, if we could just see Jesus with new eyes, imagine how that would transform us as a church. Imagine how that would transform each of us. We could become a church that is so actively engaged in proclaiming the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And we can be involved in that transforming work of changing the whole culture of our area To see Jesus in a way that they don't already. We would become a church that's not fixated on the past, fixated on the good old days of all the cool things that we used to do, but instead we would be fixated on Jesus seeing and looking forward to the amazing things that he's going to do next through a church that is fixated on him. So let's make our prayer this week this, help me to see what I can't see by letting me see through your eyes. And then the second thing is just a simple action, a simple practice. And it's this, practice stopping for others. Because sometimes we're the person on the side of the road that we need Jesus to, you know, to come to meet us. But sometimes, sometimes we're just so busy. We're on the go. We're going here. We're going there. We're doing all these things. And a lot of these things are good things. But we're not seeing Jesus because we're not stopping for others in need this this whole idea uh, is really solidified in matthew 25 where jesus says that when we give food to the hungry when we give water to the thirsty when we welcome the stranger give to the poor care for the sick visit the prisoner we do so to jesus in a profound way this idea was brought home to me and to sharon uh, last summer so my wife sharon and i Last summer, we we're walking through Red Bank, and uh, as we are walking around, we see this guy standing outside on the street corner, raggedy-looking old guy, and he's got a sign that says "Help." And you know, Sharon and I were okay. We we're playing Pokemon Go at the time, and we're like, "Oh man, <laughs> this this is really distracting us from our game." But we should probably do something, and. Uh, Normally, I carry these $5 Dunkin' Donuts gift cards on me just in case someone asks me for money. But at this particular moment, I didn't have any on me. And so we went to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts, we got a card, we go back to the guy, and we started talking with him. And I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, what does he want? And, and to be honest, mostly I was just expecting that he wanted some money. But it turns out as we started talking to him, no, he just wanted to talk with somebody. He had a car, he had a house, but he was so socially incapable of just basic interactions with people. He would just would stand out on a street corner in Red Bank with a sign that said help and hope that someone would talk to him. And it was profound to realize that just that basic human interaction is so vital for people. And so that guy just needed someone to stop for him. And for Sharon and I, we needed to stop playing Pokemon Go (laughs) and talk to a human being and see the face of Jesus in a guy with a sign that said, help. And there are so many people all around us who are in that same need of help, though they don't all have signs. And so whether we're stuck on the side of the road or whether we're really busy going around Let's pray to have our eyes opened to see Jesus, Jesus, the God who stops for us. Let's pray. Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. We pray that you would now renew them in our time and that you would remember mercy. Lord, help us now to see what we can't see by seeing through your eyes. Help us to see who you really are. Lord, help us to put aside wrong images of you that we may have built up, expecting that you're the kind of God who's more focused on our performance than our hearts. Expecting that you're the kind of God who exists at our beck and call instead of us acting as your servants. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the ugliness in us that we want to get rid of and the beauty in you that we wish to become. Lord, open our eyes to see you lifted up as a king who doesn't use his power to lord it over others, but who uses your power to save us. Humble us now this morning free us now this morning to see you, our beautiful Savior, who stops for us. Amen.